Hello friends! Welcome to episode 140 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I'm full. Oh, yes. I didn't want to finish the burrito, but I wanted to finish the burrito. <laughs> In Soviet Russia, burritos <sighs> finishes you! It's true, it's true. Oh my god, it was so good, though. So it was so good. So you're, good. You, 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 well, I mean, to be fair, though, you bought, like, what, the, the big damn Literally, it was whatever, called, whatever. like, the big Amigo or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I haven't had one in a long time, and it was good. It, it was, was good. It was good. Dinner it was, good. was definitely good. It was worth it. It was worth it. But it's like, you, if you get the small one, you still get the beans and rice with it, uh-huh. and this, they just put it inside. They're like, ah, screw that. We're just going to do it all. Just put, put everything put in everything. Just, yep. just put it all in, call it a burrito. So, anywho... Uh, so, um... You had, a sh- you had a game. I had a game. You had a game uh, session. Last weekend. You did? And, uh, I'm gonna be straight up with you, man. It was one of the best damn game sessions I've ever run in my entire life. But I suppose that's what happens when you have three months to plan it because your game keeps getting cancelled. I don't think that that's true, but I think you planned it well. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I... No, knowing, knowing the number of revisions that plot went through... Because it was like, well, I guess it's not going to be for another month. Time to look at my notes again and see what I can fix, see what I can refine. Crap. Yeah, and, and I did that a couple times. Where, like, I looked at my things and I was like, why am I just going, you know, like, why does this plot lack nuance? Mm-hmm. What what could I throw in here? Oh, yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. the flower shop idea, something yeah. that came in December. No, simple. I like it. You know, it was nice. Uh, things like that. So, um, for, for you uh, Skyrim and Elder Scrolls fans out there... Um, the plot we're kind of following is my my twist on the whole Meridia's Beacon thing. Uh, Rob's character picked up the beacon. Um, he's kind of the group's cleric, I suppose, of Stendar. Yes. And uh, so he found this beacon, and he's like, oh, I don't know if I want to get in bed with a Daedra. That sounds dangerous, but we'll hear her out. Yep. She was like, why don't you go into town? There's a darkness brewing there. And he's like, what kind of darkness? And she's like, you know what? It's vile. Don't know. It's just vile. Can't can't tell you. I've got I've I've got some eyes and ears there, but nobody really knows what's going on, and I'm barred off from Tamriel, so I don't know. I can't see in there. All right. You're, but you are my mortal agent. Why don't you go in there and check it out for me? Yeah, it's a really nice way of saying what she said. That's that's funny. Bought a uh, bought a flower at a flower shop, which mm-hmm. gave him a lead to go and meet at a mansion at eight p.m. <laughs> And they were, he was like, what's going on with this? It was a cult meeting. It was always a cult. It's Masks always. and robes and everything. It's a Daedra. Of course there's a cult. <laughs> they gave him a sword. Yeah, big They gave him big the Dawnbreaker. Honkin', yeah, big honking sword. And uh, then there are now we've, we've figured out that there are vampires in the sewers. Yes. Yes, there are vampires in the sewers. And that may be the vileness that is going on in the that's city. probably the vileness most, that's most going on likely, in the city. Most likely. She's, she don't like undead. Yeah. She don't like... Really be- hates undead. Yeah, yeah. So if there's vampires in the sewers, chances are that's it. Yeah. So, uh, what worked? What made it work, in your opinion, as a um, storyteller? So I think what I, what I really liked is that everybody kind of had buy-in to the mystery element. Yes. Um, when... Uh, uh, and everybody was really proactive about it, mm-hmm. which is, Very which much is so. what I was really hoping for, because um, I kind of told everybody from the get-go that this is your plot. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be handing plot to you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, 
and, and everybody else took that as a cue to let's help our friend Theodane and mm-hmm. not as, oh, well, Theodane's the only person involved. Let's sit on our thumbs. Yeah. It wasn't a personal history plot so much as it was, this is just wrapped around this character a little bit. Yes. Um, and so everybody was very proactive about trying to figure out what the darkness in the city was and mm-hmm. some of that. You kind of split the party and everybody was really patient with everybody else while they were doing their own investigations and whatnot. Um, that worked really well. Um, it worked really well that you leaned into the uh, the hard moves that I made. Um, yes. So, you know, when I when I gave you the lead to go to the apothecary shop, you took it. Yeah. You role played that scene when yep. I when I then gave you the note, the the receipt for your purchase mm-hmm. that um had the the meeting location written on it. You were like, "Okay, I guess I'm going to this meeting." Mm-hmm. And then when your door got kicked down by the thieves guild demanding to know where your missing person is, mm-hmm. uh because you were the last person seen with them, you didn't turn it into a combat encounter and that was my big like i'm gonna hold my breath and, and yeah make this hard move you and, know? and i think what works for me in regards to that just to, to, to say something to that is is that i'm playing my character as a wise old person mm-hmm. yeah i mean he's not uh, like D levels don't make sense for that yeah because it's it's a matter of who you are and how 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 skilled you are at what you've done and he's basically just deals with things like mm-hmm. somebody's going to kick down your door there's only two ways that goes either they're coming in and murdering you in your sleep in which you try not to get murdered or b there's a conversation to be had and if there's a conversation to be had you, you just wait you just you just let the conversation you happen. let the conversation yeah. happen <laughs> uh, i just yeah I, I i but but for me like I, I i saw that going one or two ways in my head and mm-hmm. i don't think it was going to be you i didn't think it was going to yeah. be you going i'm going to instigate a combat situation here right that's why like the first thing i did was ask okay who was rooming with you right because i figured it was either going to be tristan or mm-hmm. rigar right uh the, the there would be the warrior or the fire mage. Right. Uh, it turned out it was the fire mage this time around, mm-hmm. who's a real chill individual. Pretty much, yeah. But if it were Rhaegar, the, war- the Nord warrior, things were going to get spicy in there. I-, I think it would have turned out much more like one of the Driver movies. <laughs> where, like, two big guys in a tiny room bashing into each other, taking out other people. <laughs> yes, yes. Um... But yeah, it turned turned out real chill, and I was I was a little worried that uh, everybody else at the table was going to be um, like, "Oh, do I do I hear the door get kicked in? Okay, roll for initiative, roll for initiative." You know, I want to get in there, I want to fight somebody. Um, that didn't happen. Uh, in fact, I was I was talking to Sean about it afterwards, and he was like, "Yeah, I thought it was kind of funny how nobody else like even jumped up to your defense. We all heard the door kick, kick kicked in, and we were just like, well, thoughts and prayers.'" <laughs> so. Totally true. Uh, totally true. I thought that was I thought that was just great. Um, and uh, yeah, in um, in in kind of a stroke of brilliance, the last thing that worked out was uh, the group collectively um, picked up on the clues I had dropped. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but like I thought I was being pretty subtle about things. I think you were being exceptionally subtle. I think and I was kind of not wanting to step forward and be like, "Oh, here's what's going on." Mm-hmm. Because I was enjoying the, the the rollout of the mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I wanted to see, like, Rob was like, okay, what's going to happen next? Because <laughs> like, my character was very much of the mind frame of, like, okay, I kind of got a clue of where this is leading to, mm-hmm. but we need to find all of the information before we jump to a conclusion. Yep. You know, let's yep. let's let's get all the facts. But we knew we knew Meridia was involved, mm-hmm. so probably, probably undead, probably undead or, or necromancy of some sort. Right, right. Um, you've got people going missing 
mm-hmm. a little bit at a time for over a course of about a month or so to yep. the point where the city was in a fringing on a state of panic. They were talking yeah. about inst- instituting a, a curfew. Yes. Uh, the guards were trying to usher people off the streets after dark. Um, and uh, so some of the people were doing investigations about um, – Oh, and sorry, there was a wanted poster. Yes. Was the, was the well, third two, piece. two, but yes. Two, two wanted posters uh, specifically, but uh, uh, one of them was for a um, an ex-Thieves Guild member mm-hmm. uh, who was muscle for the Thieves Guild named Yorda Foe Crusher. Yes. And somebody put together, it was Rigar, Rigar. Put, put together the, yep. uh, the, the Nord Warrior. Um, of all people. Of all people. They kind of had this powwow of like, okay, guys, what do we what do we think is going on? Is it is it necromancers or mm. what's going on? And he just kind of blurts out, you know what? I think it's vampires in the sewers. It's 100%. He literally, he was the dude slapping his hand on the board covered in sticky notes and string and went, vampires in the sewers. <laughs> and we're all like, sewers. what? And he's like, look, just look at it all. And then and he, he took five minutes and like conspiracy theory yeah. connected everything. And it 90% works. of what came out of his mouth was 100% correct. What I had written is blot. Yep. And so uh, I took the move then of basically saying, you're correct. Mm-hmm. I'm going to confirm you're correct. Because we only play once a month, and I don't want you guys faffing around for another five game sessions playing guesswork and trying to figure out if this is a, br- a red herring or not. Right. You've got it. Mm-hmm. This is what's going on, so you can follow up on that and we can get some action. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. And it was great. Yep, yep. It's it's the you know it's true. Yes. Factor of, 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 of any mini-series. You know? It's when they figure it out and then they go do, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's the turn point that you want. You don't want your players to constantly feel like, oh, is it this or is it this or is it this? Because I've seen way too many of those turn into these blown out conspiracy theories, you know, where all it takes is simple addition of two plus two plus two to put the plot together. But somebody starts doing calculus mm-hmm. and you fool yourself into thinking that calculus is necessary. And you're like, oh, my God, you're so overthinking it. It's right in front of you. Please just grasp it. Right. Right. So that when you guys did grasp it, I was like, you know what? That That's great. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the action part. You so know? it didn't work. Um. Two of my players are exceptionally quiet. Mm-hmm. Now, Rigar did snag the plot, and I thought that was great. Yeah, so it definitely shows he was, was involved in paying attention. As a player, he was very involved. Um, as a character, not so much. Not but, so much. But I don't think that that detracted from things. It really wasn't... It's not his character style to be involved in those things. Yeah. Um, but, but, like, he he and uh, uh, and your wife, Vicky, were mm-hmm. conspicuously absent from a lot of the actual in-character action. She was um, involved in the scenes that were necessary, but again, they're both quiet characters. They they are they are. So I don't and you feel can't hold that against bad them. about yeah, them, yeah. and I don't feel bad about it necessarily. But like, if I could go back and redo it, I might throw in a little extra stuff to kind of pull them into the plot mm-hmm. a little more, mm-hmm. rather than just saying like, "Well, if you don't get up, you know, and and follow the plot, then that's your problem." Yeah. Um, but you know, in the breakdown, they did say they had a lot of fun. So yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't that's the key. Much. So that's honestly, the key. As far as I'm concerned, it's a win all around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, enough patting myself on the back. Well, you did I a good job. You did a good I job, and sometimes as a storyteller, so you need to you need you need to remind yourself later of these moments, mm-hmm. so that when you're down, you could be like, "No, I am good, and I can keep doing this crap." Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you want to get to the main topic? Yeah, we're going to be doing this for a while tonight. All right. I feel like this is going to push past an hour. All right. So uh, one of the things that uh, we're doing, and I, I, I think we, we talked to maybe about it a little bit last 
um, last show. Yes. Uh, is uh, for for 2022, we've solicited some feedback from some of our listeners and such like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, some of the feedback we got was about getting back to basics. Yeah. Um, we talk about a lot of high concept stuff in storytelling, but not a lot of like, hey, I'm a first time storyteller. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the first Monday of every month, we are going to be doing a Storyteller 101. And we're going to kind of over the over the course of the year be kind of going through the whole process of taking a uh, a game from uh, a twinkle in your eye all mm-hmm. the way up to how do you execute it at the table? Exactly. Yeah. And we the 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 whole feeling of it is is that um, we sometimes need to bring it back in our own mindset. We're 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 jumping over some basic things mm-hmm. that our listeners need to know about because they're just starting out and they may not even have, you know, maybe they've been players and they've wanted to start running a game, but they don't know where to start or, or even where to, to crack the egg at a certain level. Yep. So sometimes we need to bring it back a level. And we've often learned that when we do that, we, we learn things ourselves. Oh yeah. And I, and so I think it's a great idea. I think this will be good. The best way to learn was by teaching. Yep. And then we are still going to keep our system spotlights as our second Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have our, you know, third and or fourth, you know, Wednesdays of the month for other topics as they come around. Yep. Absolutely. So, uh, so this week, uh, we're starting off storyteller one one with, uh, inspiration. Yes. Um, and so how do you get your ideas for what to run, like, where, where does it come from? A lot of places. A lot of places. <laughs> uh, I will be going back over this multiple times tonight because the question came up both as from from a lot of our uh, a couple of our listener questions, but inspiration comes from all kinds of weird places. Like, for me, I've had it come from conversations with people, uh, from labels on bottles, mm-hmm. songs. Um, bad situations like bad games bad movies yeah like where i look at something i'm just like god this has great lore but why this why you know why did they do it that direction or or whatever yep so inspiration can come from a lot of different places but at the same time it can cause a lot of fear oh absolutely because you don't necessarily know if you should start that way right right and so i think some people feel more comfortable going with the pre-generated stuff, um, pre-generated adventures of stuff, um, versus going full 100% creating your own adventure in your own world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that change between, you know, and decision is an important thing to do. I think, I mean, is it so bad to start or even, you know, run a pre-generated adventure? No, 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 no. In fact, I, I actually think it's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I started out that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of us did. Um, I actually, uh, believe it or not, I was just was researching the uh, some stuff for the show today. I was watching uh, a video by Seth Skorkowski literally about this topic, about uh, about using modules and, and, and adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of one of, the, one of the points he brought up is that, you know, a lot of uh, newer players don't know how to run the game. And so having a pre-generated adventure kind of acts a bit like an instruction manual. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of gives you, like, guide rails to kind of stay on, see how an adventure should flow and such like that. And allow it allows you to take your mind off of a lot of the little minutia of having to write it and having to figure out what happens in it because it's already done for you. You can then just concentrate on running it, mm-hmm. concentrate on getting the rules correct and such yep. like that, and give everybody a good time. Yeah. Um, 
And the other thing is, is and I'll flat out say it, is a lot of times you'll you'll run a pre-generated adventure and you won't like it at all. Mm-hmm. You'll get involved in it and you'll feel like it is 100% on rails and cramming the players through it step by step by step. And that's teaching you what you are willing to accept and what you aren't. And I think that's one of the best parts about playing a pre-generated uh, adventure is that you discover more about yourself. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and about what you're willing to accept. Also, you discover, based on the writer of that adventure, where it got crafted, whether or not it's worth it. Because <laughs> sometimes, and, and I've seen this before, where you get into a lot of the D&D adventures, and there's not a lot of flavor. It's a lot of data. Yeah. And it's up to you to kind of flavor it, and they expect that. Here's a room. There's goblins in it. Here's another yeah. room. There's a spike trap in it, but 100 gold. Here's another room. There's a dragon in it. Right. That's the adventure. You're like, yeah. okay. Yeah, or or here's a town with a bunch of people in it. Here are the plot hooks to get the players to go up to the old keep that has been abandoned and discover that the that the the monster that's in the keep is actually the ghost of the old keeper there who died by mysterious reasons. Uh, okay, so is it a go kill the ghost? Is it a go Don't know. Mm-hmm. That's the adventure and you're like Okay, like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, is he angry at the players for coming in there? I don't know, is he? And you're like, oh, geez. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, they're they're expecting you to kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah, and they give yeah. you all the stats and everything else that's going on with that. But other ones will give you, like, a freaking choose-your-own-adventure book where it gives you, like, nine different options for everything. And it's all spelled out in high detail. And... Those are always intriguing for me. Like, that's kind of where I started with uh, Robotech, was mm-hmm. that the the first game that I ran was Ghost Ship, mm-hmm. which was a very stock adventure about a group of uh, players going out to a quote-unquote derelict uh, ship um, and, and scanning for it, and then finding out it wasn't derelict, and getting inside and finding out that it's active, and that they've basically been they've been using it as like a covert base to go get uh, other things Mm -hmm. while the rest of the fleet isn't there because they're not done with the war, you know, kind of a thing. Right. Right. And uh, so they're just running silent and stealthy and, and picking off people as they can. Um, And you, you find out, you know, that there are people to be, you know, uh, rescued in it and you find information and it's, it turns into a rescue mission. Um, But, it's given every single place in it is is basically once you got once you're in the ship, there is very little rules or very little direction. It's just here's what's going on within the space, like in the cargo bay. Here's who's there. Here's the captain and his motivations and mm-hmm. his his first officer and his motivations. Here's what the Zentradi will do if they see you. You know, how they'll react. Mm -hmm. You know, here's how the systems react to each other. So if you do this, this will happen. Sure. But that's it. It's There's no, like, if then for the players. The players can just do whatever they need to do. But... They also know how long they have, what the what the clock is on the outside, what the what the 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 hard points are for change um, so that these uh, these hard moves that the that the ship has and or your 
own rescue system that's outside waiting for you to return to take you back to base, Mm -hmm. you know, what they're going to do at certain times. So those are the hard moves that you know are going to happen. Right, right. You know. um, Uh, Hard hard moves, by the way, um, are uh, a mechanic from Powered by the Apocalypse system. And it's basically when you, uh, you make that move that, like, the player's don't necessarily instigate but they also cannot change like they're they're a distinct point in time when Mm -hmm. there's an inciting incident that changes things yeah the death star destroying alderaan hard move hard move nothing nothing anyone in in nothing any pc could have done about that they were like boom it's gone yep and it's those types of things where you're hesitant to do those. And we'll, we end up talking about those a little bit in future episodes. But mm-hmm. getting that concept and holding that in your mind of what a hard move is is kind of important because we're going to bring it back up a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, I think there's something to be said about the pregens and then using those to kind of either step into your own homebrew um or heck, and, even even using them as as uh, inspiration for yourself. Oh, one hundred percent. That's kind of where this whole discussion is going. Is yeah. is where where do you get the inspiration to make your own stuff? And dead honest, like modules are a great place to do that because mm-hmm. you may read the thing and say like, okay, um, I, this is trash, mm-hmm. but this the layout of this keep is solid gold, or yeah. this one or two NPCs over here is great, or yeah. I really liked the motivation this NPC had. I'm going to use that character or motivation. I love the name. Yeah, you know, uh, or even taking smaller adventures and plugging them into your existing plot because they work. Yes, you yes, know exactly. There's there's so many times where I've grabbed other encounters because they they just work really well and they were written exceptionally well. Why not just steal them straight out? You know? Yeah, pull cloth, lift them. You know, uh, programmers have been doing that for decades now. Just going online to GitHub and being like, "Hey, I need a little bit of code." Yeah. So I, I think I think rule number one, first off, um, in the in the whole discussion about finding your inspiration for your first game is like. Don't feel bad about ripping stuff off whole cloth. No, don't. We do it. We do it all the time. Yep, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're not even subtle about it. No. What was the name of that uh, of that ship captain you had in Seven C for a while? Louis Vampa. That's right. Who's the name of the ship captain in Count of Monte Cristo? Louis Louis Vampa. Vampa. <laughs> but and, and again, that was because I I wanted a good NPC and I felt that he was the everyone could identify with him. Yep. And if you couldn't, I could tell you the clip to go watch, and you could watch it and be like, that's him. He didn't even change his appearance or anything. Like no that. tone, literally, no nothing. Like, you knew this, what to expect. This is Vampa, and we were like, cool. <laughs> he's, yep. our, he's our favorite NPC now. We've all adopted him. Yeah, I mean, in, in it, I, I would say that uh, Padre, it, Padre Anguis was more favoritized than even Louis, but... Well, okay, But Louis enough. was an important thing. But I, I brought him into 7C. I brought him into uh, into my D&D game. As, mm-hmm. an, as a character as well. So, mm-hmm. like, he is my Final Fantasy Sid. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know? Uh, but it's it's those types of things because he inspires me to have specific ideas about himself, his crew, his ship, what their purpose is. Yeah. And yeah. it's very clean then to extend that to my players. Like, you, you kind of know what to expect out of this guy. Exactly. Exactly. But it's it's not like it's not immersion breaking for any of us to be like this is Louis Vampa from the movie, you know? Yeah. Because he fits so well in that setting that you're like it almost it almost draws you deeper in because now we've got a very rich NPC that we've literally watched on the silver screen. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know. Yep. Um. So so yeah. Uh, for 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 all you first time storytellers out there, like, do not feel bad about just putting a character in like that. 
you yeah. know, or running or, or, a pregen, or, or running running a pregen, yeah. or, or taking the plot of a movie and just doing it. Yep. You know. Yep. Yep. So where do we get our inspiration from? We touched on a little bit here. I but... mean, we could talk about it, but I feel that there are like levels uh, when you get to your inspiration of what you're kind of grabbing. So, you know, you might grab it from music, you might grab it from books, scenes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just a piece of text. Yeah. Like a line in a song that triggers a whole idea behind it. I can give you an example of that okay. off the top of my head. Um, so, uh, back in the day, there was, uh, and there's a version 3.5 of D&D, mm-hmm. uh, there was a... Uh, prestige class in one of the splat books that um, splat books being expansion books right um, that was like a you 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 grafted a demon to yourself mm-hmm. basically and in like gained a bunch of like demonic powers off of it basically mm-hmm. started slowly transmuting you into a demon sort of right. thing um, and I thought that was a cool concept and uh, I was listening to Disturbed. Down mm-hmm. with the sickness. And yep. there's this line in there, the world is a scary place now that you've woken up the demon in me. Mm-hmm. And I, I was slightly intrigued by that at first, but listening to that line, mm-hmm. um, looking at my own reflection when suddenly it changes, violently it changes. And yep. I'm like, oh, and all of a sudden I started getting this great idea for this character yep. that was part of a cult that worshipped all this evil stuff. And... um he learned a lot of like esoteric, arcane, evil knowledge from them, but had a change of heart and decided the rabbit hole was too deep for him and he wanted to get out. Right. But the cult decided, of course, you don't just leave. Mm-hmm. You know too much. We have to kill you. And so he goes on this survival mission of like, I'm going to use all this evil knowledge that I picked up in the cult and turn it against you. And so he summons a demon and packs with it, binds with it, mm-hmm. so that he can more effectively hunt down the cult that that taught him how to do it in the first place. Okay. Okay. I so like there, there's a character with a plot attached to him. Yep. Um, One of the ones that uh, triggered for me that was a lyric that I can instantaneously recall right now mm-hmm. um, is uh, uh, and, and Pardon me, my brain's terrible with names and with songs. Um, but uh, uh, the line basically is, uh, and it's 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 just one little section. Mm-hmm. And um, I sweep the streets that I used to own. Okay. Okay. And I heard that, and my brain was thinking, "Is this a fallen king?" Mm-hmm. No. This is larger than that, even. And so I I heard it in my mind as, this is a god. Oh. Who is now cleaning up after someone else because they've been bumped that far down the power scale. Mm. That, that has some interesting implications. Right. And so what what does that, you know, putting that person at that point, like... They've accepted where they are, mm-hmm. but that doesn't make them powerless because they have knowledge. Yeah, okay. So when I heard that in my head, I was like, who are they saying this to? 
that was my inspiration for the story was that it was a God who was telling the story to someone else in a sad way. And you're like, wait a second. Like they, maybe they don't recognize they're a God. Yeah. Yeah. But again, a, a God who is now cleaning up after someone else has a very different look at the world than you do. Sure. So, but, but the, the, the thing is though, you get, you get that idea and then you start asking why, Yep. You know, like, okay, cool, this is guy, like, turning into a demon, like, or this is God sweeping these streets. Why? Yeah. What put them there? Right. Why are they in this situation doing this thing right now? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a cult, or maybe they got demoted as a God. Okay, cool. Yeah. Why? What happened? Yep. You yep. know? And then just keep asking why, and you'll be surprised what sort of stories you can just build out of just trying to figure out what that little glimmer of a character or a line or a situation put you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just come up with answers for it, you yeah. know? And they don't have to be the right answers. They don't have to be the, the, the final answers. Yeah. But you'll find your, your, from one little grain of inspiration, you can start building out a lot of really great stuff like that from all sorts of different sources. Yeah. And even if your answer is, I don't know most of the time. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to. And... I, I think that's where other parts come into it. But, I mean, and that's that's one aspect. Mm-hmm. I would definitely think that there's also those times when we've looked at IPs as a whole mm-hmm. and said, like you did for Elder Scrolls, you're like, I am stealing this whole cloth. Yes. I'm doing my own crap with yes. it. You know, that's fun because now you have lore that's already out there. You have names that are already out there. You have a world. You yeah. have maps. Sometimes those sometimes the IP is huge. Mm-hmm. Like Elder Scrolls is a huge IP. There's yeah. tons of crap out Absolutely. there for you. Sometimes it's, it's not as big as that and the lore is emergent based upon like Dark Souls is big and the lore is very emergent because it as games come out, mm-hmm. more lore is coming out about the world. Yes. <laughs> and you you have one YouTuber that you watch who literally, like, as soon as a trailer comes out, you're like, and we'll be getting two and a half hours worth of lore out of this guy. Body video, yes. Yeah. So, but that's the kind of thing is that you, 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 you look forward to those things, and because of that, that gives you access yeah. to something larger. Absolutely. Um, and then, uh, you know, those kinds of things can then say, okay, I'm only going to talk about an aspect of this world, one small chunk mm-hmm. of this world. Uh, and focus down on that. And I think regardless of where you're grabbing your idea from, whether it's something you grabbed, um, you know, from a song, a book or something, or you're grabbing an IP or you're, you're literally whole cloth or you're expanding on an existing story, mm-hmm. you need to know what about it excites you. Yes. What keeps you motivated? What pulled you into it in the first place? And, and, and run stuff that excites you. Yeah. You know? Uh, you know, if you come up with an idea and you're like, yeah, I guess that's okay or whatever. Like if you're not enthusiastic about it, if you're not like if that, if that idea does not light a fire under you to go Mm -hmm. and write a bunch of stuff, like, you know, shelve it maybe. Yeah. Come back to it later. Find something that does give you that fire, you know, like for me, um, the reason I picked Elder Scrolls is because a lot of my inspiration comes from wanting to explore the empty spaces in an IP. Um, I looked at the Elder Scrolls games, and they're they're wonderful. They're absolutely wonderful. Some of my, my favorite games in the world. But like, they can o- you can only do in those games what they've programmed. Mm-hmm. You can only explore what they've added to the game. Yeah. What if you could go anywhere? Yeah. What if you could truly chat up the NPCs in more than what their dialogue trees allow for you? Mm-hmm. You know. 
and that's why I wanted to run as a tabletop game because there's so much as as rich and as deep as a lot of those games are. There's so much empty space that could be explored if you could just be free. In yeah. Yeah. And for me, that was that was that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, are there bad ideas? I'm literally gonna go with the meme. Yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, there 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 are both good ideas and bad ideas, but it's okay because even bad ideas are not bad. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, there's tons of. Here's the thing. There's tons of bad ideas. Hmm. Realistically speaking, there are tons and tons and tons of bad ideas. Far more than there are good ideas. But that's fine. That's mm-hmm. part of the process. Mm-hmm. Is is writing a draft and throwing it out and writing another draft and throwing it out mm-hmm. and, you know, trying an idea or, or, or change you know, your first inspiration is not going to be your final draft. No. By no. any means. Do 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 not do not do that to yourself. Does that make it a bad idea? No. Maybe. But I mean, you'll find out. Because it needed to change to become what it is. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. That's part of the process. Yeah. Allow yourself to have bad ideas. Allow yourself to say, ah, uh, no, that's not going to work. And sometimes it's a bad idea right now. Yeah. Like, it's just a bad idea right now. Because either you don't have what you need for it, or it isn't the right time, or it's too involved. But jot it down. Yep. Put it in a notebook somewhere or, on a, or on a, in a Google Doc somewhere and come back to it later when it is a good time. Yep. And I, I would say that we, uh, we've we got a few of our shelved ideas here and we'll kind of explain why they got shelved. Right. Uh, or why they're currently shelved. So, yeah. you, you Besides you the know, obvious that we're running a game. So. <laughs> you want evidence that there are bad ideas. Mm-hmm. Here's your two hosts of your Storyteller Conclave podcast going to share some of our crappiest ideas with you. <laughs> I wouldn't say are crappiest, well, but definitely shelved. Yeah, definitely shelved. Definitely shelved. So I know you've talked about wanting to run a, a game based on the Division IP. Yes. Um, uh, so my uh, 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 that's another one of those things where, like, I love the IP, mm-hmm. um, but it's got some empty spaces. You feel they could do more. That I yeah I, I feel like I would I would like to explore it, you know outside of the the confines of a shoot 'em up looter shooter video game in New York or DC yeah I mean it's literally that limited it, well yeah there's there's one one game set in New York one game is set in DC mm-hmm. and I, I guess there's a free to play PvP version coming out in like Nebraska or something like that called Great. Heartland or something wonderful yeah. not not looking forward to it um, no not our not our cup of tea. But I found the idea of, like, the Strategic Homeland Division pretty fascinating. Uh, they've got a lot of really cool future tech, like, drones and, like, little turrets and stuff like that. Like, so the, the ideas of um, using the uh, uh, the skills, the or, the, or the, what they call skills in the, mm-hmm. in, the, in the game, but basically they're, they're these, like, p- bits of uh, shade tech that, uh, 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 super DARPA technology. Mm-hmm. Um is uh, really fascinating to me. And uh, when we're doing our um, system spotlight on uh, Savage Worlds, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking to somebody from the Savage Worlds uh, uh, unofficial Discord. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were even discussing how we would do that mm-hmm. in Savage Worlds. And it's basically using the powers mm-hmm. as their skills. Yeah. You know, So if you have like the blast power, that's just a gun turret. Yep. You know? Um, you just make them deployable mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and you use, instead of power points, you basically use requisition points. But why didn't you run it? Why didn't you start doing it? So it was a phenomenal idea that I was very enthusiastic about. Yes. I was in the writing phase. Mm-hmm. And 
as I was putting together the plot, I, th- I was thinking to myself, okay, realistically, if there was a pandemic in that unlikely event that there was a pandemic, what would it look like? And who would be our major enemies? Who would be the groups that would crop up as like antagonists in this post-apocalyptic world? Mm-hmm. And my answer for that was Nazi militias, white supremacist militias. Um, and then the pandemic happened And I was like, I don't want to play a game about a world-ending pandemic where Nazis become a huge threat. Especially during a pandemic. Where Nazis are a huge threat? Enough said. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, and it's... Hit a little too close to home. Especially when playing the game. We actually stopped playing Division 2. Like, the two of us did. We were playing for the longest time, and it got too much. Because there were times when we'd be playing it, and it was mimicking... Some of the storyline was mimicking a little too close. Yeah, yeah, there was and, there was definitely the the gift of prophecy got yeah. tossed into them for a little bit. Yeah, and and, and sometimes that's a reason to shelf enough. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a trigger for you, whether it's a trigger for somebody else, um, whether the story is a great story and should be told, and it's something that should be rolled out with people, sometimes it's not the time. It's not the time. So. I, th- I think it would have been a great game yeah. had a global, you know, pandemic not not happened. Yeah. So, uh, one of my ideas that I had, yeah, uh, was for a kind of wild magic world. Okay. Where, uh, and it came from, and I, I can't remember the original source, but I was I was uh, reading a very short story that was talking about, um a young girl who basically fire started a town mm-hmm. accidentally. Like she had no idea she had any magical abilities. Whoopsie poopsie. Uh, and literally just ends up starting a fire in her village, which mm-hmm. burns the village to the ground. But her brother takes the fall. Okay. Because they see him controlling the flames. Because he's trying to save his sister who's stuck in the middle of it on fire, but she's not affected. That lemur, he's earthbending. <laughs> exactly. And so he ends up getting taken, and uh, the story is his perspective of basically being magically shackled, where he can't use magic. Mm-hmm. But he's, he, and he's, because of his, his exposure, or his exposure and what had happened when he was a child, he is now a teenager, and he's been enslaved this entire time to work at a mine where basically the stones that they're mining absorb magic. Mm -hmm. So he can't use magic. He's bound by shackles at Stopic, and he's in a place that literally drains it from you. Okay. So he has, you know, he, he has no hope of, of anyone or any way of getting out of this. Um, but he's telling the story about his sister and wondering if she's alive. Okay. And if she made it out of there, because as he goes over and over again in his mind, all the events that occurred, he realizes that she got away. So my thought was is that anyone in the game who wants to be a magic user has to be a sorcerer, okay. number one. Okay. And that any and then any and all other mages are all single schooled mages mm-hmm. who are bound by that school if you deviate at any time you start walking down a line of corruption that eventually leads you into monsterhood Mm -hmm. so what what didn't work with this there was a lot of mechanics 
Yeah. It was changing systems that made it challenging. And I didn't, I, I was watching, I was looking at D&D. I was looking at systems where magic was a big thing in the system. Uh-huh. And it just, there was never a mechanic that really worked without it feeling super complicated. And I would have to write pages to explain the system. Yeah. And it yeah. felt like if I have to write pages to explain this, then it's too much. It's It'll detract from the story. Also, yeah, yeah. Um, I remember you telling me about this a while ago, too, and uh, I remember my, my first thought is, like, as, as a potential player, going, like, if your magic system has a caveat in it of, like, you can do this thing, but it's super dangerous and permanently damages your character if you do it, mm-hmm. um, there, nobody's ever going to use that mechanic. Right. You might as well just not write it, because right. uh, players are typically very risk, very consequence-adverse and they'll just never do the thing. Or they're risk-forward and they don't care. Yeah. Devil without a cause kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the the idea of also... Uh, and then this was before I really got into understanding some of the limitations that 7th C put on magic and what it did socially. Like what it meant socially for heroes. Um, where their limitations were were much more... Uh, apparent mm-hmm. like you know somebody who's doing porte it is disgusting to watch yeah it, it has an adverse reflection on everyone else and reputation is an important stat in that game i do portal magic by ripping holes in the universe and they scream and bleed yeah oof yeah oof yeah i i take on the form of animals mm-hmm but I do so by changing myself in front of everyone. Okay, that's, again, uh, like a werewolf-style yeah. c- alteration, you know. Uh, so it, there were times later that I was like, oh, I, I could see where this could go. Mm-hmm. I could see how I could do it better. But at the time, yep. still too cumbersome. So I had one uh, I've, I've talked about a couple times, I think, here on the show, uh, was uh, inspired by Tron. Yes. Uh, I wanted the PCs to be programs inside the machine mm-hmm. and the world we explored to be that of the inside of a computer's architecture. Yep. Um, and I, I got into like the initial planning phases of that, uh, of thinking about what the plot would be like, who the PCs would be, what your goal would be and stuff like that. And um, I pitched it to you and uh, Overwatch, actually. Mm-hmm. Um who does not appear to be in our live chat tonight. But, I think uh, he is. He's out there somewhere. Wave, wave if you're alive, Overwatch. Um, yeah. But anywho, uh, pitch it to you two, who both work in IT. Mm-hmm. Like, deep, deep in high-level IT. Been, been buried in IT for a long time. And uh, you both you both basically pulled the Ron Swanson at the hardware store and went, we know more than you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's not going to work. Because the first time I'm going to be like, okay, there's a firewall in front of you. You're going to be like, no, okay, so it works like this. And we do this, and we do that, and we circumvent this, and we rewrite this. And I'm like, oh, okay. Did you want to fight the other programs? Like, no, no, that's not how this works, you know. Yeah. And you wouldn't have had fun, so. Yeah. Overwatch is here. And I, I, like, I come back and look at it and say, there are ways you could have done it mm-hmm. where that wouldn't even have been a concern. Mm-hmm. Just because everything becomes a disguised shade of something else. I mean, effectively, how how much of it is is it a, a, a an adaptation of contemporary life? Mm-hmm. You know, you have 
cop programs. You have, you know, fences and walls and brick walls and things like that. So it, it all becomes an adaptation. And how far do you take the realism of, you know, I'm a fighter. If I can do this, then I should be able to swing my sword more than twice in in six seconds. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so that that's where it comes back down to. Well, there's still mechanics that limit what you can and cannot do. Right. You right. know, you've only got so many processor cycles. Sorry. You know, but but it, it became it became apparent to me though that um I I don't know nearly as much about computers as I thought I did, and mm-hmm. that um I. It, yeah, it, it, for you guys, it would be like a do- you know being a doctor watching Grey's Anatomy. You'd be like, "This is all wrong. This is not what a hospital's like." You know? Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> it, it potentially was not going to be fun for you guys at all. So, but it 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 put that fear in your mind, which was enough for you to shelf it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I had the the anthropomorphic kung fu spirit game. You watched Kung Fu Panda one too many times. Honestly, no. That's not where it came from. Okay. Not not at all. Okay. It came from a short story uh-huh. uh, that was about a spirit uh, embodying a animal because it needed to get something done. And so it, it embodied, I want to say, like... The story starts with this spirit, basically this, uh, uh, this, this, I think it was the spirit of creativity. Okay. Uh, was, was lost. Like he, he, the last vessel that it was in was broken. And so it had to find something. So it found a bird and it was like, I need you to do this for me. And the bird had like gained some sentience and, and went off and took care of, of, of reinvigorating the spirit again of this creativity but what I liked about it was the concept that these animals, all of the animals that are in it, are part of a hidden society. Mm-hmm. Like, you kind of get this feeling like all doves have this innate thing. All turtles have this innate thing. And I went, oh, okay. So it's closer to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, mm-hmm. where you have, like, yeah, there's all kinds of beavers out there. But these two beavers are intelligent and can talk Mm -hmm. and have been touched by a spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of water. So not only are they like sentient creatures, but they also have a power. And that all the players are going to be these adaptations, Hmm. these spirits that influence them and, and direct them and kind of let them know what's going on in the world and how they have to help. All right. So why didn't it happen? Because I'd have to write a lot. Uh, that's another another one of those uh, whole cloth oh, creations. One hundred percent whole cloth, and it was just like I don't have time to write a whole cloth adventure on this and figure out a system. Now, looking back on it, there's a couple systems I could easily choose. Okay, okay. Um, just off the top of your head, uh, Savage Worlds was the first one that would make it really easy. The second one was uh, Legend of the Five Rings. Okay, great. Just yeah, literally, I could I could see Legend of the Five like, Rings. Like yeah. literally, drop this idea inside Legend of the Five Rings. Okay. Okay, I can see it. Which I think could work just as well. Uh, the other thing that, that kind of tipped me is, and I wrote on top of this idea, was you playing Ghost of Tsushima? Tsushima? Tsushima. Tsushima. Yeah. And I was just like, I like some of the aspects of storytelling that are in that, and I, I wanted to study them a little bit more, and I was like, this would be a different way to yeah. play the game completely. That could have been cool. Could have been cool. You know. So. Uh, so here, I, I had one more. Uh, it was, was X-Crawl. 
Okay. Uh, was a little known expansion book for third uh, edition Dungeons and Dragons back when they uh, they dropped the open gaming license um, in in third edition uh, on the world and basically invited a lot of third party people to write um, uh, write books that that, that use the D twenty uh, Dungeons and Dragons rule set and X Crawl was one of those and uh, it was. Uh, I, I grew up watching American Gladiators. Okay. And uh, for those of you who may have never seen the show, it was uh, basically a super hyped up obstacle course show um, where you'd have male and female competitors both. and But, but the obstacle courses were like ridiculous. And uh, there were a number of gladiators were basically just these like bodybuilders and, mm-hmm. and, and, and athletes, again, both men and women. Um, and they had like fancy names like Titan and mm-hmm. Goddess and Laser. Chaos, Laser yeah. and, and, and Wolfman. Valkyrie. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were essentially in place to serve as opponents for the American gladiators, for the, uh, mm-hmm. for the, uh, for the, for the contestants. Um, and so like, you might have to like, you know, wrestle one of them and try to push them out of a ring or, or you know, like a uh, swing from, uh, from, uh, different elevated, uh, uh, rings to yeah. get from one side of a thing to another. Um, well, another, well, one of the gladiators would come out and try to like literally swing from the things, wrap their legs around you and anchor you down. So you would just like fall off of the, the obstacle course. Right. You know, I, I also remember like the big challenge, which was like, you had them shooting stuff. They had a pneumatic tennis ball well, cannon. Right. Yeah. And then you had various positions and weapons to fire back to hit a target. Yeah. And it was like, it was like the dunk tank, you know, where you yep. don't hit the person, you hit the target next to the person. But if you do, it was like a big, like shoot of Air, oh, yep. sorry, sorry. Uh, shoot of air that kind of came up out of it, basically, and, it, and said, disabled like, them. Hit. Yes, yeah. yeah, disabled their weapon. It at was that point. great. It was such great fun. It was corny as hell, but it, it was exceptionally great. corny. And so I grew up watching that show. So then, when this book X Crawl comes out, mm-hmm. it's basically the 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 extreme dungeon crawling league X Crawl. Mm-hmm. And, like, oh, just the moment I saw the cover of it, I just imagined, like, a paladin whose shield is, like, the Pepsi logo because he's sponsored, mm-hmm. you know? And he's got, like, like like a NASCAR driver. He's just covered in sponsor logos all over his shining armor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you, you go into this dungeon uh, uh, that, that's specifically laid out by a, uh, a famous dungeon designer mm-hmm. and who's known for his traps. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, he holds aloft his holy Avenger, and the crowd goes wild. And let's get ready to crawl! Bah, 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 you know, yeah. starts playing. And like, I was gonna do all the lights and the music and the everything for mm-hmm. it. I was gonna paint the miniatures with all the little logos all over them, um, mm-hmm. and set up the dungeons with just like a real like. This was thrown together out of plywood and mm-hmm. duct tape, right? Sort of look to it, like American Gladiators had, right? I just never got around to it. Too much? It always sounded fun in my head, but never as much fun as running a serious campaign of something else. See, now, I would say this. That sounds like a fantastic one-shot. Yes. I think it sounds like a fantastic one-shot. Or or a convention game. Yes. I think that's a great idea, and because uh, it, it doesn't require a lot, and the players can get right into it and mm-hmm. have fun with it. Um, and sometimes that's what those things are. I, I mean, we've... 
<laughs> we've belabored this point. We own this show, so we're going to keep going. And we know it's almost, <laughs> we're coming up to an hour, and we still haven't gotten to some other meaty parts of this. But the, the truth is, is that there are tons of ideas that we have. Like, we have a lot more than that on this list, but we wanted to at least get a few of them out. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you could kind of hear what makes us tick and stuff right. like that. Now, when we talk about things that come from some kind of a source, the question is, is how do you focus on that source material? Like, what do you take from it? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when you're when you're doing something like an IP, you need to make sure that you're getting the feel. Yes. Of that IP, yes. you're trying to pull it, whether it's a a, the, a a struggle that you're trying to pull out of it, or or the, um, or the general uh, tone that comes over it. I mean, if if I'm gonna grab the IP of uh, Dark Souls, mm-hmm. it needs to feel like there's despair, right? Yeah. Even if I'm not playing the Dark Souls world, but I want that tone i want to keep that energy of that death is going is an inevitable thing but you, not for you death death is an inevitable thing the world itself is slumping towards its grave yeah if if at any point you're running a dark souls game and i say to myself well oh, this world feels really alive you are doing something wrong exactly exactly um the whole point of dark souls is is cycles and mm-hmm. the ends of cycles and what we do with those endings yeah like i'm not going to play a my little pony game in that world yeah yeah That's yeah not yeah, gonna work yeah. Out. um and a lot of people think it's about the violence and it's not right it's not dark souls is not about the violence and the bloodshed and the killing and stuff like that it is it is an examination of 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 cycles and letting go at the end of a cycle mm mm-hmm. mhm it's 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 or a, not or not letting go yeah and, and what do you do with that yep you know but like one of the examples you've got in here is star trek and star trek is about discovery and exploration and you know humanitarian ideals and hope in general but that doesn't mean that in each one of the stories feels a little different um and sometimes things feel way off like we like a lot of people like you had made a note that the the jj abrams movie felt off or betray of the Star Trek system. Yeah. So or source, I should for, say. For for me, like this is gonna sound really hoity toity. Really hoity toity, but, but, so. but, but stay with me here. Um when you're when you're getting inspiration from an IP, if you're gonna run an IP, mm-hmm. like an actual one, you know, like Star Trek or something like that, you wanna find the soul of that IP. And that sounds super deep, but like we were kind of talking about the Dark Souls thing is like the whole theme behind it is the ending of cycles and stuff like that. Right. And so if you're going to if you're going to run any IP, you have to find that one thing that is the thing that the IP is about. Mm-hmm. So what is Star Trek about? Right. It's about hope. It's about exploration. It's about wonder at the universe before us. And a lot of it, a lot of the 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 original show the next generation stuff of like that is about examining the human condition mm-hmm. through these extraordinary circumstances that the crew comes about in uh out in the universe and stuff yeah. like that how is a human klingon thriving and living with both sides of him exactly you know and uh you know what 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 weird societies that have to us backwards ways of thinking mm-hmm. and how can we talk to these societies which are really us right about these things and come to some sort of an understanding. Um, 
one like two words I would not use to describe Star Trek are grim dark. No. Star Trek is not a grim dark setting at all. Mm-mm. It's very bright. It's very hopeful. Yeah. Um and so like for me, one of my initial ideas, and this was, I will admit, a bad idea, um, is like it always kind of bothered me in Star Trek that like the Klingons were described as these killing machines that were just bred for war. And like when you're five years old, your mom makes you fist fight her for your morning cereal, you know, they eat glass and metal. Yeah. You know, it was like of, of, of these, these just, it should never, a Starfleet human should never, ever, ever be able to fist fight a Klingon and win Mm -hmm. 10 Starfleet humans might be able to pile up on a Klingon and win mm-hmm. with concentrated fire sure. and good coordination. Yep. <laughs> um, and so, like, for a hot second, I was like, wouldn't it be cool to do Star Trek, but, like, realistic? Mm-hmm. You know, make the, make the Klingons the killing machines that they are and blah, 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 and really take things to their logical extremes the way that they're talked about. Right. But not necessarily implemented for either budget or story reasons. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of glad I didn't. Mm-mm. Because... Killing machines are not don't they don't have a place in the Star Trek universe. Mm-mm. Like the Klingons are violent warmongers, absolutely, but like they're about as violent as they need to be mm-hmm. for that theme, for that setting, for that. They theme. have their violent moments. Yeah, and, and and certainly by all means, when you know the option comes up, they choose violence. Yeah, by all means, but yeah. like. But like, if you were to run Klingons the way that I that I had imagined them, mm-hmm. it wouldn't fit the feel. It right. wouldn't fit the soul of Star Trek. Right. You know. Right. And and it wouldn't I, be a Trek game. It would that, be a cool space game, but it wouldn't yeah. be a Trek game. And it's a matter of distilling that down and continuing to keep that feel. Yes. You know, uh, it's adding the what if, but still keeping the heart the same. Yeah. That 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 soulfulness of yes. it. Yes. Um. So really, like, if, you, if, if, if you're dipping into a source material for this, that's what you're looking for, is you're looking for the spark behind it mm-hmm. that makes it feel like what it does. Examine what that IP holds true, mm-hmm. what it feels like. What rule does it feel like all the writing couldn't break? Right. You know? Because so many people have examined Star Trek and said, there's a lot of politics and a dark edge to the Federation at the highest levels. Sure. Because they're doing, you know, they're doing nefarious things to keep everything in order. Because they can't let it fall apart. They have to defend humanity mm-hmm. at, at the beginning of all things. And the answer is yes, but that's still an examination of the human condition. That fear is still the truth behind all of that. Yeah, exactly. And as long as you keep that in the focus then it makes sense. Then the story can make sense and continue. Mm-hmm. Um, and continue to make sense that that's the heart and soul of the story. Um, I think the other part of that is is that once you have a story, I think the hardest part is making sure you don't turn it into a novel. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I think I, I, before we get into the whole concept of player agency, the one thing that I did, and I'm glad you put it in here beforehand, is... Uh, don't make plans. You're you're have ideas, have an idea of of events and mm-hmm. such, but like a good bottle of Nyquil, don't make plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your your inspiration is a great starting point. It's going to give you a lot of good places to 
uh, make adventure hooks and mm-hmm. NPCs and interesting situations for your players to get into and reasons. But if you are, if your if your inspiration is starting to lead you to think like the players will do this, or I want the players to do what they this. will react this way, and then they will go here, and then they will do. You're writing a book, mm-hmm. you know. No plot is going to survive contact with your players. So, so one of the best things that I can say from the beginning is don't make any, don't make plans for your players. Mm-hmm. To follow. That's not going to work out. Treat it like little kids in a sandbox. Literally, you, you plop them down the sandbox, they're going to play with the sand. Kids don't need plans to they play in the sandbox. They don't. They need a, bu- you know, you hand a them a bucket. bucket a shovel. You, you give them a little cup of water, suddenly the world just got huge. Yep. You know, now, now shit can happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the kind of thing, that that's the truth of role-playing, is that you will always underestimate your player's and you will always overestimate what they what you think they know about your plot. Yep. Yep. You'll go both directions on it every time. I do it every time and I have to roll myself back every time. And and that is that is why I confirmed for my players that you have guessed the plot correctly because <laughs> yeah, congratulations. <laughs> the the moment that happens, oh wow. <laughs> yeah. So then the next thing to talk about realistically and this is just the beginning of this discussion that we talked about is agency yeah so this is this is where you're starting to take your inspiration and move it into like okay what is how is this going to become a game yeah um how do i step away from novelizing this idea (laughs) uh and and so it's it's not only agency but make sure your players have something to do Mm -hmm. okay so it's one thing to be like okay well this this world exists like this and this kingdom is doing this and this kingdom is doing that and blah 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 great what do the players do Mm -hmm. where will they be who will they be where do they fit into the story and how will they have agency within it right like it's great if you start them out in a small town where they're all just effectively normal people and then something happens. Yeah. Like, great. Something happens. Why do they care? And what is it that they're supposed to do with mm-hmm. that something happens? And and again, this is getting this is getting like into the beginning of next month's discussion. Right. So this is actually putting things into practice, but it's a good place to look at from your from your inspiration point of making sure that like Okay, when we start this game, sure, we're running Elder Scrolls. That's huge. Mm-hmm. What do the players do? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, mine are members of the Fighters Guild or Mages Guild. They, they have will jobs. be doing various adventurer things mm-hmm. that their guilds will assign them. Mm-hmm. At least at first. Yep. Until they get their own agency, their own ideas, and they go in their own their own directions and such like that. Right. That's a thing that you can do. Yeah. The you initial know? hook is always a great idea of having why your players are in that space doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of adventures start out with the hook being, you were hired and you're doing X. And that's great. That's it's great. great. It works great because it gives you a definite direction. Yeah, and the other thing is is that as a storyteller, you don't have to always worry about knowing why. Mm-hmm. Your players will help you understand why. Yeah. Well, did you come here for the money? No, 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 no. I owed the priest a favor. Okay. Sure. Okay. Sounds great. Cashing in a favor. Cool. Yep. Sounds they good. cash in a favor and and you're now doing this job. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, you know, after that it's up to them why they're together. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And they know they have to work together. Um, you know, it's you're all in a cell on a ship. Great. How many games have started out that way in the digital realm? Uh literally every Elder Scrolls game. Pretty much. Yeah. So that that concept 
spans. And there's nothing wrong with using those types of stories, but you always have to remember that you have to have a reason why they're there and what's that first thing they're doing. Mm -hmm. So, And if you you can't answer that after you come up with your idea, you need to go back to the drawing board. Yep. Take a step back. Take a step back. Find a place where your players fit and how your players can affect the world around them that they have agency in it. That's right. And when we talked about hard moves, this isn't railroading. A hard move is not railroading. We're not removing the player's agency. Right, 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 right. We're talking about a world changed event. Yeah, so you're you're not yeah, you're not you're not scripting or railroad or railroading anything if you're hard moving. Um it's just an inciting incident and the the difference between doing that and like railroading them or like writing a book essentially, you mm-hmm. know, where you don't have agency, is that you're going to step back once that incident happens. Once you make that hard move, you remove your hands from it. Right. And you let the players react. Yeah, I, I you know, you you've got your stories where you start out in a cage on a boat and they're like as soon as we get you to, you know, Corinth, you will all be part of the master's studies because you're unique. Mm-hmm. And then an attack happens on the ship and you're, you know, you're tossed out of your cells and the ship is on fire. And suddenly when you make it to deck, you realize there's a kraken tearing the ship apart. That's a hard move. That's the hard move right there. But what you don't do then is continue to tell the players, okay, you do this and you do that. Right. And then you end up here. Right. It's just... You wash up on shore and all awake. Mm-hmm. And, and the story continues. Now, you, you know somebody was taking you somewhere, and now you're somewhere else. Like, you have a bit of story, and you can continue with your plot. But it's the hard move is the ship gets destroyed and you end up on shore. Right, right. Right. You're, right. Not, you're not giving them the chance to fight the Kraken because it's not there to be fought. Sure, sure. It's it's part of the hard move. It just it just happens. Right. Um. But I think I think a lot more of that discussion though is for for next month. Yep. Um, next month and moving forward. So All right. We had some questions though. Yeah. Let's really let's spend a half an hour too. on these questions. Oh Jesus. Um, all right. So Agenmi asks, uh, how often do you pull your ideas out of context or out of genre to use as a basis from de- for developing a story? All, all the, time. the damn time. Yep, all, all, all day long. Um, all let day me long. tell you, pulling an idea or a or, a, or a, you know out of context or genre is one of the best gifts you can you can you can have. It's also one of the best gifts you can give your players when they figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, for instance, uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to go into my whole uh, the, the the thing that I jotted down here. It's a bit of a long explanation. It is we're long. already running. We're already running late. Yeah, we'll probably get into it within the next few shows. Uh, uh, but. Uh, but but for instance, like um in in my game, mm-hmm. um I introduced a couple of uh, uh, wizards from the Sigic Order. Yeah. Um, Top who were man. looking at what happened uh, to the, uh, the 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 crown of poppies. The the end item of the previous act. At, yeah, the end of the the end of the previous act um was this magical artifact they they uh, allowed you to like mind control people and stuff it was really wild. Yeah. Um. So these these two guys came by basically asking about, like, hey, we read your report and we were going to basically come and collect this artifact from you, but you say you don't have it. It's been destroyed. How'd you do that? We wanted to, we wanted to ask some questions about that. So there was two there was two out of context things that I pulled. And I think bo- I think everybody got both yep. of them. Yep. Um, but they fit so perfectly with the story that they got a chuckle. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, these these guys said that they uh, uh, their job as the Sigic Order is to secure, contain and protect Yep. The uh, the thing. So that's lifted dead dead from the SCP. Yep. SCP Foundation. Yep. Um 
but also uh i named the um i named the investigators uh uh joseph Fridas yep. and uh william gagnon yeah. gagnon yeah uh and it's a uh, it's uh joe friday and bill gannon from dragnet yes which i thought was fantastic and i described them completely the way that they were <laughs> like lifted completely out of context just they're 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 the dudes from dragnet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. period in wizard robes yep and, and I've grabbed fables uh-huh. and just reused them. Like, I'll find old, you know, fables that people necessarily haven't heard of and just change them up. Uh-huh. Like, oh, this is this is a, the old man in the bridge troll tale. But I'm going to be telling it in my current game, which has nothing to do with either of those things. I'm basically re-representing them as new people. Yeah, sure. And it's sure. it works. It's amazing how that works. And the thing is, when you remove something from context... Um... I mean, like, they, they talk about how there's only, like, seven different types of stories, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. So when you remove something from context and put it into your game, unless you, like, keep all the names and all the events and use a lot of them, your players probably aren't going to notice. Right. Uh, so you can really lift a lot of stuff from... And, and, and new storytellers, this one's for you, since this is a one-on-one, mm-hmm. do it. Do it. Do it. Do Lift it. things whole cloth. Steal. That's right. Steal with reckless abandon. You're not publishing this. You don't need to worry about copyright law. Yeah. Your reputation is not on the line. Yeah, I mean, if if you literally want to rewrite Red Riding Hood in space, where your players are Red Riding Hood delivering cargo across the galaxy and have to go through the Wolf Pack's territory... Yeah. Do it. And then the Wolf Pack acts is actually has taken over the facility that they're going to be dropping cargo at mm-hmm. and have hid people, you know, has hid the CEO of that that operations center and you have to rescue them and get this, you know, old... My fi- Deep Space bear. 7, yeah. what big phasers you have. Exactly. Like, <laughs> those are a lot of fighters you have in the hangar bay there. Like, I really got to defend this area. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Why? why? Like, yeah. So... Those kinds of things, uh, you can totally steal whole cloth, no, and, and it's fun when you do stuff like that because in the back of your head, you you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can just keep jumping with it. So, all right. The Mad Elf asks, when you're stumped for ideas, plot development, what are some go-to resources to light the fire? Uh, so my my, <laughs> you you are my go-to. Uh, I agree. Uh, we bounce a lot off each other. There have been several um post podcast discussions of hey, you might have to stick around for a little bit and bounce some things off you. Yep. Um, and we we both have that level of respect where we're like we're not gonna grab metagame knowledge and right. Most of us, honestly, most of us just it's so out of context and we don't remember it by the right. time the next game rolls around, anyways. And neither of us are there to quote unquote win the other person's game. So right. even if we did remember, we're we're there for the journey. Journey, not for yep. the not yep. for the ending. I completely agree. Um, but yeah, no, uh, uh, you're you're my you're my source of I need to work something out mm-hmm. uh, and it's, for inspiration. It's nice to have those moments because sometimes even having somebody who's not involved in gaming and asking them a question of like, so this is what's going on, and then they're like, well, did you ever think about this? Like I did that with Wendy and Steve. Mm-hmm. Like brought up my game because I was kind of hitting a point. I'm like, well, I kind of want to do something fun with this. And it was Wendy who came up with the idea for, like, well, why don't they have doppelgangers? Like, people who've been to them. And oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That totally makes sense because people would have heard about this and then somebody is going to capitalize on that and mm-hmm. try and make money on it. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Okay, cool. Got it. Got it. That's going to be something that'll <laughs> be in there. Somebody's going to try to capitalize on it and make money. I mean, that's that's how I uh, uh, I, I heard like that's, that's how you disprove flat earthers mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is with capitalism. No. Because have you ever seen a uh, I've been to the edge of the world and all I got is, is, is this stupid t-shirt shirt? No. Nope. Well, capitalism hasn't hasn't tried to exploit the edge of the world yet, so it must not exist. <laughs> that's, that's fair. That's fair. The other one for me is puns. Puns will come out of nowhere. Somebody will mishear something, or or you'll read something like uh, Vicky was reading to me off the back of a bottle and misread something as Juniper Pines. And I went, oh, that sounds like a great name for a druid. Yeah. You know, she's a real sweet gal, you and know? And, like, over the next five minutes, you came up with a whole backstory for mm-hmm. it and stuff. That mm-hmm. was great, yeah. And, and, like, a history of what was going on and why she needed help. Uh-huh. And it was like, that didn't take much at all for my brain to go jump, 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 jump. Yeah, exactly. Just from just from misreading something off the back of a bottle. Yeah, so it it's it's fun sometimes to... to uh, I, I remember at a time there was uh, when, when Snapple was notorious for the under-lid quotes and oh, things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, like, pop one of those off, read it, and see if you could come up with something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and sure enough, it sometimes you'd come up with some neat ideas. Yeah. So. All right, so Knox in the Box asks, uh, when starting a story, which is more important, finding your own storytelling style or your players? What do you feel the best way to find a style is? You, uh, well, I think in our discussion that we had before the show was you don't find your style. The style finds you. Style finds you. Um, You'll discover that you have a style. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Style works itself out. So I I don't think you can, there's not really much you can do to discover your style other than just give it time and storytell and Mm -hmm. find what you tend to like doing. Mm -hmm. Find what game systems uh, jive with you well. Find what game systems frustrate you and, and you and you stray away from. Yeah, find what types of players end up at your tables over the years. That's what I was gonna say. Is that a lot of times you'll end up with one player group that likes certain things, and then a portion of that group with some other individuals will like a different thing, mm-hmm. and then a whole other group will be for something else, and that's perfectly fine. Yeah, like that happens all the time. Yeah, but so. but as far as uh, as far as your finding your player styles, yeah, curating your players is absolutely something you mm-hmm. do, and and does happen all the time. Um, the longer you are a storyteller, the more you are going to find that like, okay, well, I'm going to run a game. Man, I really need Rob at my table for this game. Yep. And, uh, I'm definitely going to need Sean. I'm going to need Vicky. Steve loves this style of game too, so I'm going to invite him. Mm-hmm. That's four. Right. Do I go one more? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and you start. You start curating groups of people like that, and then you're like, "Well, I'm going to run a heavy combat game. I know Sean loves those, so mm-hmm. definitely going to have him." But you know, yeah, you know, or I'm going to run this setting, and these people love this setting, mm-hmm. and, and and sometimes it's a hit or miss. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you invite someone there, and they're just like, "Yeah, I'm just not, I'm not driving with this." Yeah, and that's fine. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. So, Overwatch asks, uh, "Where is an unlikely place you sometimes get inspiration from?" Conversely, do you have a regular go-to for inspiration and story ideas? Cartoons and history for me. Oh, it's cartoons always for you, man. Cartoons is a great way. Like, I will find so many beautifully written stories in cartoons and and hidden gems of of craziness that spark off ideas for me. It's... Uh, it's, it's honestly one of your fascinating hobbies to me mm-hmm. because, you know, I... 
I tend to watch just like a lot of like video game let's plays and stuff like that in my free time and whatnot. Yeah. But like you'll come to me and you're like, okay, so I shotgunned this whole thing of like David the Gnome, and I'm like, <laughs> okay. Did you learn how to spell and do your basic edition? And you're like, no, the character development was amazing. The mm-hmm. plot line went like this. And I was like, you pulled all that from a children's... Okay. Yeah. Sure, man. Like, But I mean, and especially right now... But, with, it's, but it's great. Yeah. I, I would say in the last 15 years, we had, we've had such a birth of beautiful uh, artistry and storytelling that has been made easier. Like, really since... I would say since The Simpsons, Mm -hmm. that artists have had much more access to be able to create and production houses have been much more accepting of various uh, stories um, that it presents some beautiful things. We've had like, I, I mean, Steven Universe, Gravity Falls, Adventure Time, you know, people will go into exceptional you know, exceptionally long stories about the lore mm-hmm. that sits behind these individual character plot lines and histories that are so deep because of so many little things that come out in those stories. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's wonderful to see that stuff, but there's so much storytelling going on that you can miss. Mm-hmm. And so I, I look back at these things and I, I see the art and the love that's been put in and put into it that storytellers from one show will incorporate things into another show just hidden in the background Mm -hmm. and like you'll know about that and you'll watch within that show a bit of the other show's lore coming out yeah and it's if you're there for it it's great and it's amazing and you're like that shows the love for each other there but at the same time you're like these people are telling beautiful stories yeah and for me that's that's what it's about yeah absolutely so uh, for for me, my unlikely source of inspiration is uh, actually game rules. <laughs> um, you wouldn't okay. think that looking at a bunch of uh, roll these dice with these numbers would uh, would be ins- would be inspirational. But um, well, like for for instance, uh, reading through Savage World rules, um, and like they've got a whole section on how to how to do chases, and just reading those rules, it starts making me think, oh, what would be cool situations that I could use these mm-hmm. in? You know. Uh, and they start listening. Well, you know, if the, if the if the race is on foot, and I'm like, oh, foot chase through an urban city, and like chasing after a thief that stole something, and like, okay, the hazards come up with this, it's like a fruit cart or like a, mm-hmm. a, a group of people that you have to like kind of push through, and like movie scenes start playing out in my head just because I'm reading these rules for how to represent that at the table. I'm so glad that my cinematic mind of storytelling has ripped into you a little bit. Yeah, because it wasn't there before. <laughs> I mean, it was. It clearly was, but now you do it more often, way more than you used to. Yeah, and yeah, that's wonderful. I, I, I think that's. I think something that we can flat out talk about is is that when you start working with other storytellers and seeing other stories and playing other games, you sometimes pick up some of their styles. Yeah, and I, and I think that's a, that's that's actually that's a great part of this. A great part of this answer here too is is other storytellers. Um, I we we talk a lot about and if we had them on the show. Um, we were talking about uh, space operas. Yeah, um, was uh, Seth Skorkowski. Yep. I still go back to that guy's channel mm-hmm. um, a lot, and just he does. All, he's got like a whole game mastering, like how to, very much like our show. Yeah. Actually, 
um, that he does on his uh, on his channel, and yeah. he's a great resource. You watch a lot of uh, How to Be a Great DM. Yeah, How to Be a Great GM. How and, to Be a Great GM, yeah. And he, honestly, Guy is amazing. He is incredible. He's written books. He's written adventures. He doesn't play his own adventures. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I always think it's amazing uh, that the, all these resources exist, right now especially. Uh, I'm an avid listener of the... Uh, um, uh, Savage Interludes podcast mm-hmm. uh, about the Savage Worlds game, um, and uh, the inspiration for this show to begin with, uh, Adventuring Academy with Brendan Lena Mulligan, mm-hmm. um, was is, is also another great source out there. Yeah. So uh, other other storytellers, just just listening to other storytellers, uh, is a great inspiration. D- Dale Kingsmill. Yeah, yeah, Dale Kingsmill. Yeah, yes, uh, amazing at uh, pulling together. Monarchs, histor- Fa- Monarchs Factory is yes, the name of her yes. YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, amazing. Uh, historical pieces and lore and uh, uh, really does deep dives into things, but at the same time, sometimes we'll just go to town on an idea, uh, a a spell or a specific encounter type of thing. And it's, it's wonderful. It's just, it's, it's inspiring to watch. And I think that's where that sometimes that excitement can help you jump in a direction. Mm -hmm. So, so speak, speaking of inspiration, actually, Knox in the Box just dropped this in the live chat. He oh. says, uh, I want somebody to introduce the erasure dilemma of Link's Awakening in a tabletop game. That was the Game Boy uh, uh, Zelda game. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the first the first uh, uh, Game Boy Zelda game. Yeah. Um, he says, but I don't know what you'd set up to have, uh, to, to, to have that there. The whole kill the problem without killing the world thing. Um, the dilemma essentially was that, like... The whole world took place in the dream of this creature. That's right. And you were kind of trapped there, so you had to defeat the creature. But but like you knew that once that happened, the dream would end and the whole world would be gone. Yeah. And so how do you get yourself out of it without taking the entire world with you? Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a cool plot. It was a cool mm-hmm. plot. And see, like right there, we're talking about inspiration. As you played a video game and you thought, how would I make that plot work? On the tabletop. Boom. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. You can wrap an entire campaign around that, man. You you very much could. You can absolutely wrap an entire campaign around just, that. That's what we're talking about. Just make sure that you sell all the points so the players know the concerns. Yeah. He follows up with, makes you wonder if you're actually the good guy doing the right thing. Are we the baddies? Yeah. No. And I think moral dilemmas like that are great are great things to have in a campaign setting because, you know, and I and I think the important thing about moral dilemmas like that in in your in your setting is don't answer them. Yeah. Let the players figure it out for themselves because what they're going to come up with is much deeper than anything you're going to hand them. Yeah. Kind of like I'm doing with you in my Elder Scrolls game. I've got a potentially violent Daedra, but she wants you to slaughter the bad guys, right? But then you've also follow the God of Mercy, who wants you to be chill with everybody. But who deserves mercy? Do the bad guys deserve mercy? Yeah, or do always... they deserve the stor- sword? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to tell you the answer to that. I'm going to hand you the sword, mm-hmm. and I'm going to let you make that decision yourself. Yep. yep. And we're going to play it out at the table. Yep. It's it's going to be interesting. Yep. It's going to be interesting. So. All right. I think it's about, uh, oh, it's about, about time. for tonight. It's about um, time. So our next week's topic uh, is uh, second Wednesday of the month. So we're going to be doing our system spotlight this week. It's going to be about Faith, uh, sorry, Fate Fourth Edition and Fate Accelerated, which so can... are. I was going to say we got a couple seconds here. So they're it's the same system, just even more cut down. And you may know Fate actually as Fudge back in the day. Oh if you yeah, if you're, if you're old enough, Fudge. Yeah. Well, because 
fate was at the f in fate used to be fudge yeah and if you're so. if you're uh uh if you've been to a game store you may have seen those plus and minus dice this is yep. where those come in so so you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh, join us up on our Discord. Uh, join the discussion there. Throw us some questions. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank all of our members and listeners who are on our Discord, but also our named members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We appreciate you helping us out every single month. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that on Patreon.com slash Arcane Anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for Thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years to give you these great stories to share with you. And ideas. <laughs> and you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you very much. Good night. Good night.